good to see you this morning. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here. <coughs> Welcome to all of you who are joining us online, whether you are at home or on spring break. Uh, we're glad you're able to, to check in and still join us, and I hope you have a great, great time away. Uh, you know, there was a 12-year-old boy who uh, lived on a farm, and they had a pond. And in this pond, they had a whole bunch of geese. They had 24, in fact, altogether. And one day he's out just skipping rocks, throwing them in the pond, you know, like a, like a 12-year-old boy would do. And he tosses one and drills one of the geese right in the head and kills it. Well, his heart kind of sunk. And so he went and grabbed the goose, took him out into the woods behind their house and dug a hole and buried him and thought, you know, there's 24, mom and dad are never gonna notice one missing. Except his sister saw him. His, uh, his sister saw him uh, take the duck, or the duck, the goose, and, and bury it in the woods, and he comes back in, and he goes, she goes, I saw that. I know what you did. You know what, well, he's like, don't tell mom, I'm going to, unless you do the dishes for me. Okay, I'll do the dishes. So he does the dishes, and the next day, same thing and the next day, and the next week. And this goes on for a couple months. He's doing the dishes, and then finally, he stands up to his sister. He's like, I'm not doing the dishes anymore. She's like, well, then I'm telling mom. She's like, I don't care. Go ahead. He goes, I already told her. She forgave me. It's a pretty good story of sometimes how the enemy comes after us, isn't it? We heard from the guys talking about man camp and the issue of shame a lot of times we deal with in our life. And the, the sense of guilt for our sin that uh, even after we've been forgiven, even after we've trusted Christ, the enemy we read in scripture is constantly throwing accusation at us. He's constantly accusing us to ourselves and before God. But the good news is that uh, we don't need to worry about that because if we've confessed those things to Christ, He's forgiven us fully and completely and freely, and it's done. And so he can come after me all I want. It reminds me of a lady who said, uh, you know, what do you do when the enemy uh, attacks you with accusation? She goes, I tell him to go east. Okay, well then what if he comes back? I tell him to go west. Well then what? I just keep him running back and forth, east to west, because the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have my sins been removed from me. Thanks be to God, amen? Well, uh, that truth is all possible because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's, that's how we're forgiven. That's how our penalty is paid and how our pardon is received, all because of the work of Christ. And so uh, we're in this short series called uh, Famous Last Words, and we're looking at uh, some of the final things Jesus said before his death on the cross. Last week, we, uh, Pastor Tom led us as we looked through uh, his, his prayer in the garden uh, before he was crucified. Today, we're gonna see a handful of his words actually from the cross. You know, uh, he actually, uh, scripture records seven different, seven different phrases uh, that, that Jesus utters from the cross. We're gonna look at four of them today. Pastor Dave's gonna cover another one next Sunday. And then on Good Friday, we'll kind of circle back uh, through them again. But uh, with that, let me pray. 
And then we're gonna be in Luke chapter 23, so you can kind of turn there now if you like, and we'll be there shortly. But let's, would you pray with me? Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus. Thanks for uh, your work on the cross. Jesus, thank you for enduring it. Thank you uh, not only for paying the penalty for my sin, but then also giving me uh, your righteousness and forgiving me. Holy Spirit, I pray today that as we uh, teach through these things, which are heavy things to consider and know, that in doing so, it would, it would grow our hearts and we'd swell with thankfulness and, and praise to you because of it. Pray for those who've never trusted you, Jesus, that today you might show your love to them in really tangible ways and that, Holy Spirit, you might work in their heart in such a way that they'd respond to that good news. Work in us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 23, and uh, I'm gonna start reading in verse 32 this morning. And uh, let me just uh, set the scene, actually, before I do. So what we're gonna read is about the moment when Jesus is... uh, taken to the cross and is crucified. And what's happened in uh, the 24 hours or so prior to this is that Jesus was in the garden and uh, he was praying with his disciples. And while he's doing that, you, he was, uh, we read he was sweating uh, drops of blood. He was, he was so anxious about what was in front of them. Yet he said, Father, uh, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. And he moves forward. Uh, to the cross. And that night then Judas, one of the 12 who be, would betray Jesus, comes to the garden with, uh, with guards and some of the religious leaders and they're carrying torches and, and swords and clubs, we read. And uh, they come and Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, signifying that this is the one. And so Jesus is arrested at that point and there's more details to the story if you'd like to read them but he's arrested and he's taken through a series of trials that night. First, they take him to Annas, the high priest. And then uh, they take him to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who was the high priest appointed by Rome. And uh, then after that, they take him to the governor, to Pilate, who was uh, the governor of that region for the Roman government. And he's put on trial there. But, But Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. He says, I'm gonna release him to you. And they're like, no, crucify him. And instead he releases a guy named Barabbas. And Jesus is taken then to be crucified. But Pilate, before he sends him off, he washes his hands and he says, "Uh, his blood is on you, not me. I find nothing of fault in this man. And so Jesus is made to carry his cross on the way to a place called Golgotha, which we'll see here in a moment, where he's crucified. And uh, in the midst of those trials, in between, he took on all kinds of beatings and scourgings and floggings. I'll spare you the details, but he was a bloody mess. And even in carrying his cross, he wasn't able to carry it all the way, but uh, under the weight of it, uh, he had to hand it over to a guy named Simon, who happened to be in town at the time, and he carried it much of the way. Well, that's where we pick up the story here in Luke 23, uh, two others who were criminals. Remember, Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. And by the way, the, the reason they wanted to kill Jesus is because he kept saying, I'm God. And they're like, he's blaspheming. And Jesus is like, well, if I'm not speaking 
the truth, then that's why they wanted him put to death. He kept claiming to be God. He hadn't done anything wrong. But two others who were criminals were led to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. This place called the skull, maybe you've heard of it, uh, I think I said it earlier, called Golgotha. It's Hebrew, it means place of the skull. In Latin, there's a Latin word, Calvary. You heard of that? Calvary means skull place of the skull. And literally, here's a picture of that place. This is an old uh, picture from an old archaeologist, but you can see uh, where many believe this is at, just outside of Jerusalem, where you can kind of see the skull there. And even today, you can go visit that place and you can kind of see it here a little less clearly the eyes. But uh, this is where Jesus would have been crucified with two others, one on his right and one on his left. And uh, In being crucified, the Romans invented crucifixion. And friends, it was was brutal. It it was flat out the most brutal way to die. Sometimes they would uh, execute someone just on a pole with a little place for their feet. Sometimes, most often, on a capital T looking cross. Sometimes on something like this with a sign. Other times, just on a tree. But it was invented as a means to... uh, to to really torture people in death and prevent people from rebelling against Rome. And so what would happen is with the cross, it'd be laid down on the ground and uh, they would drive a nail in each hand, tie ropes to tie their arms on the cross beam. And then uh, as they're laying there, they would turn their legs this way and drive another nail through about their ankle, through the bones in the lower part of your leg. And uh, rather than the hands, it was most likely, uh, and, and often there's even some archeological evidence of, of they'd go through the wrist between those bones in your forearm. And so when they would raise it up, then the person who was crucified would be hanging there and eventually they would die of asphyxiation. They'd have that small platform that they could kind of push themselves up and get a breath, but then they'd, collapse back down and eventually suffocate to death. And this didn't even account for all the beatings ahead of this. Uh, And friends, Jesus' crucifixion is a historical fact. You know, uh, early after the crucifixion, this is one of the earliest records we have of Jesus' crucifixion. It's a graffiti in a cave, I believe near Rome. And somebody writes, here's what that says. Uh, it says, uh, behold, uh, Aleximanos uh, worshiping his God. And there's a picture, it's kind of sketched out over here so you can see it, but he's worshiping uh, Jesus on the cross and the artist in mocking Christianity has put a donkey's head on Christ. Kind of telling what you fill in the blanks of what he thought of Christians. And what many still do, it's foolishness to those who haven't trusted Christ. But friends, Jesus was crucified with a man on his left, a man on his right. And uh, his cross would not have been like super high and lifted up, but would have been just slightly above eye level. That's usually how the Romans crucified people. There's accounts of them uh, crucifying people on either side of a road coming in and out of towns. 
so that as you came in, you would see these people suffering and, and often uh, they would even put a sign above them or below them of what they did to earn that. As a warning, you better not do this or next week this will be you. And for Jesus, the thing hung above him, we're gonna see here in a moment, was simply a sign that read, the king of the Jews. He kept declaring himself to be God. But Jesus, whether it's while the cross was laid down and he was uh, being nailed to it, or if it's as it was lifted or after it was even lifted up and then dropped in the hole, you can imagine that. Look at what Jesus says. These are some of the first words we read now from him on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Can you imagine that type of forgiveness for the people who are torturing and killing you? These are the first words we read from him. And then uh, these soldiers and the ones who had crucified him, they cast lots to divide his garments. This fulfilled prophecy. And uh, some of the other gospels give more detail, but the people stood by watching and the rulers, they scoffed at him. They scoffed at him. The rulers being the religious leaders, we're gonna see three groups of people here who mock Jesus in his state of agony. First, it's the religious leaders. And look at what they say. They say, oh, he saved others, right? Why doesn't he save himself? If he's really the Christ, really the chosen one of God. And he's mocked by the people who should have recognized who he was more clearly than anyone. And then there's another group, the soldiers. They also mocked him. The Roman soldiers, they come up and offer him sour wine and they'd say, hey, if, if, if you're the king of the Jews, like it says right above you there, uh, save yourself. And by the way, one of the reasons I would tell you I don't, that Jesus' cross was not that high up in, in John, we read that uh, when they gave him the sour wine on a sponge to drink, they used a hyssop branch, which is only a couple feet long, to lift up and give him something to drink. So they're mocking him just right here, spitting on him. Can you imagine? And if that wasn't, insulting enough, one of the criminals who was hanging next to him begins to mock him. He turns and railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself. And us, while you're at it. Right? I mean, you can kind of hear that going down. But then the other criminal he rebuked that guy. He said, don't, don't you fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation. We see here, we get a glimpse all of a sudden of this other criminal. I don't know if it, maybe it's leading up to these events. Maybe it's during some of the trial. Maybe it's while he's carrying a cross alongside Christ and watching him suffer. Maybe it's right now in this moment something clicks in his heart and in his mind where he recognizes this guy doesn't deserve this. He's God. He says to the other guy, aren't you, uh, 
Don't you fear God? You're under the same condemnation as, as him. And we indeed justly, we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. We're not told what they did, but something awful deserving of crucifixion. But this man, he's done nothing wrong. You know, for, for some of you, you need to come to that moment of just recognizing that, that the death Jesus died, the brutality he suffered, the wrath of God that he suffered is the same wrath I deserve and that you deserve. But Jesus took it having done nothing wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and you can too in that moment. And he turns to Jesus, he says, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. And by the way, remember the Bible, is, it's real. So put yourself in that spot. These words weren't just spoken the way I spoke them. They were probably gasped, if not shouted out. Remember me. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. Friend, uh, all of that that Jesus suffered on the cross, he did for you, he did for me. And when we turn to him, recognize who he is, that he is God, that he did die on the cross in my place, in your place. And not only this, but three days after this, God raises him from the dead and gives us life. If you believe that in your heart, confess it with your mouth, like the guy next to him did, you will be saved, period. Do you see? It's a simple act of faith. His forgiveness though, God's forgiveness is a gift and here's what you need to, to know this morning and what we see is that God's forgiveness is costly. I mean, when you consider the ways that Christ suffered, it cost him much. It cost him what, what I deserve to pay, what I've earned, the wages of sin is death. What I deserve, what, what Josh earns for his sin and what I have earned over and over and over again is to suffer the way Christ did for me. It's what I deserve. It's costly. The wages of sin is death, but here's the great news is that he made the payment. Jesus made the payment. Do you see? So yeah, my sin put him there, but he did it willingly and he paid it for me. In fact, uh, there's nothing I can do to add to it. There's nothing I can, uh, can do to make that payment myself because while I was still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. A guy like me, a person like you. For, and then Paul, as he's writing this to the church in Rome, he says, you know, I mean, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, you know I mean? But then he kind of adds a little commentary. I guess sometimes every now and then somebody will die for a good man, a good woman. But here's the deal. While sometimes somebody might die for a really good person, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, still his enemies, Christ died for us. He paid it 
for you. Somebody might pay it for you if you thought, oh, maybe if I'm good enough, somebody will pay that for me. Yeah, but Jesus did it when you were still a sinner. And me too. It's incredible, incredible grace. We also read uh, in Matthew that it was about the ninth hour when Jesus cried out. Ninth hour would have been three o'clock or so in the afternoon. And he shouts out in Aramaic and uh, Matthew translates it for us. He says, uh, my God, my God, Jesus cries out. Why have you forsaken me? See, uh, the forgiveness and the payment he made for us was costly, certainly physically, right? But it's, it's more than that. There's, there's an emotional toll, a spiritual toll. Uh, even the sense of separation from the Father. A certain sense even of, of just God's wrath that Jesus experienced on the cross. All the shame, all the guilt, all the scorn, all the mocking, he took it all. Do you see? Now, this kind of describes a mystery that I don't understand uh, because Jesus is part of the Trinity. Uh, He's fully God. He's always been in perfect relationship with the Father and the Spirit. And yet in this moment, somehow that's severed in some mysterious way that I don't quite understand. But it tells me that Jesus knows what it was like to suffer fully the wrath that I deserve and that he did it. In Isaiah, close to a thousand years before this happened, Isaiah prophesied about it. He said, he, looking to the Messiah, who we know as Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds were healed. I think that's physical wounds. I think that's spiritual. I think that's emotional. I think that's all of the wounds he suffered for us. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Paul says, he who knew no sin became sin so in that moment, when it, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus feels the weight of sin. He becomes the thief. He becomes the murderer. He becomes the pervert. He becomes all of those things. He becomes sin on the cross so that we could have his righteousness. Do you see? The worst thing that you've done or that's ever been done to you, Jesus suffered for on the cross. And he paid the full payment, so you don't have to. But he didn't just pay the payment. He gives pardon. He he not only pays it, but then he forgives you. Meaning it's not counted against you any longer. He freely forgives you, do you see? I know this is heavy. But it's heavy because of the weight of what Christ did. And It's also because of that heaviness, incredibly joyous, isn't it? He freely pardons 
And he alone can do it. Uh, Look what else uh, he says through Isaiah. I, God says. See, you might think you can forgive yourself or atone for your own sin, but, but, but God says, I, yes, I alone, I alone will blot out your sins for my own sake and I'll never think of them again. Friend, if you come in this morning or even in this moment and the weight of your own sin is just heavy on you, when you turn to Jesus Christ, he forgives it. He blots it out. He says, uh, I will never think of them again. I'll remember them no more. Now, quick question. Does that mean that, that God, omniscient, all-knowing, all-powerful God just forgot? No, here's what it means. It doesn't mean that he doesn't know. He knows. It means that he no longer thinks of them when he thinks of you. He doesn't hold those things against you. He sees you now, not in your sin, but in Jesus' righteousness. It's this great exchange that happened on the cross. And now, uh, do you still sin? Yeah, but you're no longer shamed. You were shamed and now you're honored. You were dirty and now you're clean. You, you were vile, but now you're accepted, do you see? You were a sinner, now you're a saint who still sins, but Jesus is coming to even fix that. It's good news. And you need to know that while it was costly and is costly, forgiveness is, it's also given freely. That God gives it to you freely. If you're feeling a weight like I don't measure up, number one, you're right, you don't, neither do I. But number two, you don't have to because Jesus has for you, right? You you don't have to get it all together. In fact, you can't, and I can't. But Jesus has it all together. And he paid the penalty I deserve, and then he freely forgives me, do you see? And he would for you too, as you trust him. See, it's free, forgiveness is free to the recipient. I mentioned earlier that the wages of sin is death, but I didn't, complete the verse, did I? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift, free to us, not free to God, free to us. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's freely given to you, friend, freely. You don't have to earn it. It's given. And then that's what begins the process of change in your life. You don't have to get it all together to come to him. You come to him and he slowly, over time, uh, he puts you back together and changes you. Isaiah says, seek the Lord while he might be found, while he may be found. This is the day of salvation. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, let him return to the Lord. Do you know what that, another way to say that? Repent, turn back, turn to him. Why? So that he would smite you. Is that why? No. (laughs) So that he would have compassion on you. So that he would have compassion on you. Let him turn back to our God. Why? Because he's just gonna bring it up over and over and over and throw it in your face of how you don't measure up? No. Because he, he will abundantly pardon. 
that great news or what? It's great news. And we, you know, we take it for granted. You might hear some of this, you're like, Josh, I know all this. Yeah, but you need to remember it. You need to be reminded of it because then it changes how we live, doesn't it? We live from that. And all of this, it's because we were anchored in his love and all of this forgiveness is given to us in God's love for you. That giant sign when you walk in the door, if you're watching online, you see it down in the corner, you are loved. Do you believe it? Not do you know it, do you believe it? Do you know it, know it? It's a reminder to you that that God does all of this, not because we're good, but because he is so good. And he loves us so much. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, he loves you, friend. Longs for you to turn to him. See, God, who's rich in mercy, Paul tells the church in Ephesus, it's because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, even uh, like he told the Romans, even when we were his enemies, in our sin, he, he made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you've been saved. In other words, it's a gift. And Jesus, when he endured all those things we talked about on the cross, he endured it because there was joy set out in front of him. Do you know what that joy was? It was you, because he loves you. It was the joy of rescuing you, being with you, uh, changing you, forgiving you of your sin, cleansing you of your sin so that you could be and experience life, uh, be who who God really created you to be and, and experience the abundant life he created you for. That's why he did it. It's freely given to you in love. You don't have to earn it. Friend, if you've been trying, you need to stop. You need to receive it and then live from it. See, it's a free gift. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him. And he and God, this is written by John, uh, I, I think probably Jesus' best earthly friend during his time on this earth. And then he says this, so because of all this, we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. Not just know it, but believe it from head to heart, do you see? And one of the things you need to know then in that, in knowing his love for you, it's easy to assent you know, mentally to the fact that, okay, yeah, forgiveness is costly, I really messed up, uh, thankful for that. Um, It's given to me freely, thankfully. I don't have to do anything, but but I don't know. I'm not sure if it's enough. I mean, is he really going to forgive me of that? Does he really forgive those things? That thing I still struggle with? Friend, he's forgiven completely. He forgives you completely. Totally. There's nothing for you to add to it. Nothing. Which brings us to another of Jesus' phrases on the cross, probably the most famous one, which John says after he received the sour wine, he said, it is, you wanna complete it with me? Finished. It's done. In, 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 uh, in Greek, uh, that's one word. It's not three. 
And that one word uh, shows up on uh, stone tablets. Archaeologists have discovered it and uh, a lot of times on receipts for things. Receipts for a payment that's been made. This Greek word, uh, and I, I'm gonna botch it here, to telostomy, I believe, is what it is. And it's just, just one word. And what it means, it means paid in full, completely. It's as if Jesus, when he says this, he takes out the giant rubber stamp, red on your account, paid in full. There's nothing left for you to do. It's finished. His perfect life is finished. His, his everything that God designed and uh, ordained him to do, it's finished and it's done and it's perfect. It was costly, but he gives it to you freely and he does it completely. Do you see? See, all sin, friends, is paid for and cleansed. All sin. Sin uh, that's done in ignorance is forgiven. As well as sin that's done intentionally. You and I, we all have both of those, don't we? You have some times maybe where you've sinned and you didn't realize it. You have uh, many times, if you're like me at least, where you've sinned and you know you sinned. Well, uh, look at this, even in the passage we read earlier, when Jesus is uh, being crucified, he says what? Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. See, even sins in ignorance, he would forgive if you'd turn to him, as well as sins of intentionality, like the guy on on the cross who uh, rebuked the guy here who uh, railed against Jesus, and he says, don't you recognize that We deserve this. We have sinned. We've done these things. We deserve this punishment. And then he turns like you could to Christ, saying, Jesus, forgive me. And Jesus does. He says, truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. He even forgives the most vile, deliberate things that we've done. All sin, sins ignorant and intentional, sins of omission and commission, Omission being things I omitted to do that I should have done. Commission being sins I committed that I shouldn't have done. He forgives them both. He he, uh, forgives sins that uh, seem large and huge and sins that we might think are no big deal that are just kind of, oh, that's just, you know. He forgives it all. And he also forgives sins in your past completely. Sins you'll sin today completely, even the sins yet future, completely. Jesus says, I know those who are mine. I hold them in my hand and who can snatch them out? Jesus says, no one, because I've forgiven them completely. I can't even jump out. He's got me so tight. I'm his. But now after I've trusted him, now my life begins to change and that's the fruit of that shows in my life and I begin to live in a different way, do you see? And if you've really trusted him, you know that to be true. Even in feeling the weight of your sin, you feel even more the riches of his grace. So we've talked a lot about his forgiveness and if you haven't trusted him, I commend him to you, but let's just end with one other thought. You know, we can and we must also forgive in the same way that he's forgiven us. 
Um, that's what Paul tells the church in Colossae, Colossians 3.13, you, you, you forgive in the way that Christ has forgiven you. And you need to know, uh, as you try to live this out as a follower of Christ, if you're gonna forgive like Jesus did, guess what? It's gonna be costly, isn't it? It's gonna hurt you <laughs> to forgive. It, it's costly. It might cost you a relationship. It might cost you financially. It might cost you emotionally. It'll, it'll cost you. Um, but give it freely. And then... Uh, Give it completely, which means, again, if you're like me, and I think most of you are, that means I'm probably gonna have to come back and deal with that in my heart again at some point and learn to forgive completely because that's how Christ has forgiven me. Now, let me just say this really briefly. That doesn't mean that you necessarily trust that person again. That doesn't mean you enter perfectly back into relationship or enter into a place that's not safe. Okay, hear that. It just means that you begin to let that go, not hold it against them and, and learn by God's grace to forgive, do you see? And that is a costly, painful, hard thing. But by God's grace, you can. Think of it this way. There was a little boy sitting in the park on a bench and he had tears in his eyes and somebody walked up to him and said, what are you crying for? He's like, I, I sat on a bee and he stung me. Really? Well, why don't you get up? Well, I just, I guess I feel like I'm hurting him more now than he's hurting me. <laughs> That's kind of what we do when we hold on to things and refuse to forgive though, don't we? See, uh, God works in such a way that he'll release you of that bitterness, release you of those things as you trust him and ask him to help you forgive as he's forgiven you. Hey, with that, let me pray. We're gonna sing about Jesus' goodness to us and his forgiveness and call it a morning.